Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. No one makes New Haven tick more than Mayor Tony Harp. She's here in the WNHH studio for her weekly Mayor Monday checkup. When we talk about what's really happened in the Elm City and that for at least 48 minutes, we don't say anything nasty about anybody. Kind of a just a, a thought experiment we do once a week just to see what life is like that way in the modern political era. Welcome, Mayor Harp. Nice to see you in the studio. Uh, great to be here. That'll be the, that'll be the meanest thing we'll say all morning. And if you have a question for the mayor, feel free to pop it via Facebook Live. You go to the New Haven Independent Facebook page. And there you'll see the live video there. And you're welcome to. Um, Facebook Live has really transformed the way we do everything, not just radio. Mm-hmm. We went to the shoe store opening last week and all these people were watching. You guys cut the ribbon and then this. And we'll talk about the shoe store opening. And let's talk about it now. Yeah, this great shoe store. Oh, I have to mention that Gateway Community College, Bertram Moses PC, provided financial support for today's program. Thank you, Bertram. And thank you, Gateway. Yeah, last week you were on College Shoes. I mean, on Whitney Avenue. It was kind of chilly. But uh, it was cold. But it was kind of <laughs> warmth inside with this guy named. Um, his name was Fausto Guamantar. He's from Ecuador. And he yeah. grew up learning how to fix and make shoes in his father's shop in a little town in Ecuador. And then he came to America and within a day he got a job on 57th Street in New York. Mm-hmm. Went to Bethel, Connecticut, opened a shoe repair and uh, makes his own shoes, brand name. Although he's wearing Prada, not his own that morning, that day we were there. Got Prada? He had oh, Prada wow. on, yeah, which oh, I didn't even wow. know they made shoes. I thought they just made glasses. Rod, are you kidding? They make they're big designer of a very very expensive. Clothes. When I'm going to ask you to give me an education in apparel, <laughs> I just like the Levi dungarees and kids. <laughs> yeah, the devil does wear Prada. That's right. That was a great movie. And uh, and then he opened a second one in Southbury, and now he opened on Whitney Avenue, um, first block there uh, when you get past Grove, and it, it was very sweet. And he's a, he's a very nice man. He does it with his family, and on Facebook Live, everybody was watching. People. And you know what? They didn't point out because it is a shoe repair shop, but he also makes these beautiful leather bags. Oh yeah, yeah. You did. You didn't come in, and I. I did I, come in. I just don't have the eye you have <laughs> <laughs> for for, yeah. for goods. <laughs> Marquise is working on me, but I just I don't know. It's just hard to develop at fifty-eight. You know. So I saw these beautiful bags hanging up, and I and I said, "Oh, did he make those bags?" And they said, yes, of course. They said, well, why didn't you mention that? Yeah. And he has a <laughs> shoe shine stand. Yeah. Apparently people do get their shoes shine still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a little bit of a throwback there. It's kind of nice to see a to see a, a self-made business person immigrant opening up there. He's a very nice man. I like to meet his family. And, you know, most, uh, I've got to tell you, shoe repair shops are really dirty. I mean, I hate to say it, but they're grimy places. I mean the work. Uh, the not workshop? the work. Oh, no, but when you walk in, because I guess it does require a lot of things that um, that get all over the place, and it's hard to clean. It was pristine in there. Yeah, <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder when the stampede of dirty shoes start coming in, what that's going to be like in the storms. Yeah, but yeah that's good. And you had two openings last week. Um, there was a. I didn't realize uh, there's a whole trend of Korean soap opera inspired fried chicken i don't even know what that is all about but this guy had there's a whole chain of it um and called Bonshan, and one opened a crown near the corner i mean excuse me a college near the corner of george right or near the corner of crown right it's right it's not crown it's the one that's really um maybe it is george i think it's george. yeah so it's on that block that block long housing development that robert landino brought across from co-op high school mm-hmm. On that amazing block that transformed like no other block in New Haven with, I think, six separate 
big development projects on one block plus a boutique hotel coming. Well, you know, it's so funny. Uh, my security used to um, have us be downtown, and they would do their reports in that parking lot that had been there forever. Um, and so uh, he always remarks to me that it's so strange to, to drive down that street and to see it all built up. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the apartments went because we know that the um, market, the apartment market is pretty hot in New Haven. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just moving your, your microphone a little directly towards you. No, I mean like twist it a little. This way? Yeah, just so it's, it's more facing you directly. Ah! Oops, sorry about that. No problem. It's, it's just because we're, we're picking you up, but we can pick you up a little clearer. Um, yeah, head on like, like that. that. Yeah, okay. that's perfect. Better? Yeah, that is an amazing part of that block, too. I mean, the other parts are amazing, too, where the Salvation Army was in the middle of the block, where it turned out this beautiful 100-plus-year-old Paris house that's being rebuilt and all around mm-hmm. the corner. But that project, you know, apartments built, and then the, the storefronts, as with everything else we do in New Haven, we want there to be mixed use. That's the that's the magic right. mantra. And it does work, but it takes it always seems to take longer for the storefronts to fill than the apartments because you have to create the market first, I guess. So that was a big deal. That um, It's not the first thing. We have some other stuff on those storefronts. But that what was interesting to me is that uh, they're really known for this uh, way of cooking chicken, it's I guess it's fried, but it it doesn't look like your regular fried chicken. It doesn't look like the kernels, um, and it's it seems like it must be crunchier. But they they eat that chicken with Korean beer, and it's supposed to be uh, really a very interesting sort of um, taste experience. And I think the people, the gentleman who owns it is Chinese, who has the restaurant, but he went into this Korean style of. Uh, of chicken, it's very popular. It's very popular Did around you try the world. It? Uh, I didn't. Get, they said they're going to send some over, but I didn't. They, they had a lot of people in there. While we I were. saw the trays. You can order twenty wings on one, yeah. and f- I think thirty. Those are big trays of chicken. Yeah, it's a lot of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that was our headline. That's a lot of chicken. <laughs> but you know, I'm also thinking about that block. We've done a lot of work in extending how far downtown goes. So that's sort of when you go to George Street. There, that was a place people didn't walk a lot. Right. But now you have 300 George Street across the street. That's a completely filled up biotech and biomedical building. You now have, besides that, um, that, that face of the block on that development it's in that Landino built, the other three sides of the block are in the process of being built. They're not all there yet. Mm-hmm. But it's going to, I'm going to, it'd be interesting, you know, just the planner and you, I'm sure it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Will there be bodies on the street? Will the, will the retail be supported? Will the restaurants be supported? Well, you know, right across the street is the high school. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as we were leaving, I saw a lot of high school kids um, sort of walking down the street. And, I, and it, it really felt good to see so many people on that street. And, you know, I, I noticed that I was wondering whether some of the people they employ are actually high school students, too. Oh, that'd be nice. Which would be very nice. There's a steakhouse, too, right? There's a steakhouse on the corner. Mm-hmm. All right. And Ratasha Smith checked in. Good morning, Ratasha. Nice to... Nice to uh, one of your mentees is uh, mm-hmm. listening to the show. That wasn't the only time that we saw co-op high school. Here's a good segue. That wasn't the only time we saw co-op high school kids on mass on the sidewalk last week. Right, right. There was a time on Monday when a whole lot of them were walking on the sidewalk. Well, and I think across the country, students were walking out to protest guns, the way guns are handled in our in our in our country. And particularly how they endanger the lives of so many students 
around the United States. It was really something to see, and the kids were great. We did it, had in-depth uh, videos and stories about co-op and about well, across 1,500 kids. Mm-hmm. I love the way they worked with their schools. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, you had the, like Edith Johnson across said, we're going to incorporate this into our classes, and we're not going to have the teachers say you should be for or against gun control. We said, we're talking about gun control. Here's the arguments people are making. Great teachable moment. But that the kids also want to express so we're working to walk out safely and have it incorporated into what we're doing. Then you speak out. Mm-hmm. And at, at, at co-op, you know, they're a little tighter space there being right in the center of the city. But they went on the sidewalk. And I could tell the kids were into it. I loved looking everywhere at how kids look at their phones now to read what they wrote. Mm-hmm. Remember, we used to have to write it out or type it out. And the people would read the speeches or run it off on a, yeah. on a copy machine. Everyone does everything on the phone. And... um. So, so that, that struck me. You know, another thing I was thinking about afterwards, and, and there obviously was no downside to that day of protest. And this all grew out of what happened in Florida when the kids at the school, the Parkland High School, changed the course of our country's debate mm-hmm. when they stood up to senators, governor, and said, this isn't good enough, you got to do more. And Florida passed its first real gun control bill since everyone can remember that an anti-gun control governor signed. It didn't go very far, but, you know, it, 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 mm-hmm. made, it made some changes. I wondered what was going to come out of last Monday with these mass walkouts because what I wasn't hearing, and I might have missed something, what I wasn't hearing was an agenda. In Parkland, we heard a clear ask. More background checks, no bump stops, ban AR-15s, um, and, and that didn't all happen, but those are specific asks. I didn't hear any asks last week. Did you? I didn't, but and I think it, it, it's important to note that it's really important to not just protest but to have an ask. And I think that what they want is um, for to feel safer and to to assure which that is guns, a fair thing yeah. to ask as a kid. Yeah, and I think that that's what they were asking, but they didn't um, actually pursue that. And I didn't, as again, I meant it when I said I don't think there was a downside. I no. think it's completely positive when young people stand up and speak out. Well, and, and the, you the know act what? of doing it, hearing their voice that they want to be safe. I just was wishing there was an ask. When I was in high school in the '60s, it seems like. Was doesn't seem that long ago to me, but I guess fifty probably, years ago in Vietnam, sixty-eight, nineteen sixty-eight yeah. was fifty years ago. This summer, summer can you believe that? And so, um, mind blowing. And and that's a, another time when students spoke out, and it changed the it changed our country. They really made demands, like some crazy demands, <laughs> like you have to stop being you have to stop being a company right now and do everything <laughs> I say and make everything I want. You know, forget your shareholders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it did really have an impact on our country. I remember when there was a walkout at Amistad High a year and a half ago, there was um, someone who was a veteran of our generation who was um, who was uh, a mom, and she was saying to the kids while they were protesting, wait a second, stop right now. You got to ask for something. Now write it down right now and stand up and tell me what you want. <laughs> that was good. Well, I want to remind people that are listening to Mayor Monday at 103.5 FM, live Steve New Haven, invent.org here at WNHH, your home for community radio. Mayor Harp is in the house. And I heard we were going to hear from Bob, but we haven't heard from Bob yet, but I have plenty of questions I want to ask you. A lot happening in Hartford today after the show. You're heading up to Hartford, Mayor Harp. Yes, what, what I you am. Got? You taking a plane or are you driving? Well, I'm driving, but it's all about a plane. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought there was a plane in there somewhere. Uh, you know, one of the things that we want to be able to do is to pave the runway um, uh, safety areas at Tweed so that we can consistently have um, the sort of smaller regional jets come in into Tweed. We want we we don't want to overpack it. We want to um, we want to be able to go to Washington D.C. and to Florida, and possibly even Chicago, but only those places where we're not going to have any more f- 
flights than the largest number of flights that we've had in the past um, coming out of there. And um, I believe that it's important to do and that by not doing it, we're really thwarting economic development in our region. So specifically the ask is you and business leaders are going to say there's a state law now that last time I guess they extended the runway at Tweed. The state wrote into the law as a way to get it passed that the runway is going to cap, I believe, at 5,600 feet. Right. You want it to be 6,600 feet, which would not move the fence. It would just pave over a, 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 some dirt, I believe. Right. And that, you're arguing, will enable these kind of new class of jets to come that will enable us to have more service than we have now, which is just daily service to Philly. Exactly. That's and what that, we'd like. And then um, the, uh, the arguments against it are that, well, that was written to the law as a compromise. So the neighbor doesn't want you to go back on it. Well, that's not really true. A number of the people, there are some people in the neighborhood that don't. Uh, there are a number of people in the neighborhood that are, are happy. They're happy with the um, sound attenuation services that they've gotten for their homes. Uh, there are some that I met even during that horrible um, um, meeting that we had out there. One. And there was a gentleman who said, look, I live here and I, and I think that... Uh, that it's a good thing for our community as well as for the city. And that was before we did uh, the sound attenuation. But we're doing a lot of things. Sound attenuation meant you spent up to 40000 bucks, I believe, to soundproof people's homes so they don't hear the jets. Right. They, so their windows were, were changed. They got new insulation. They also got, um, some of them got um, um, uh, central air conditioning too. So it's, so it's kind of a good thing. Well, you know, it's thing. always tough to gauge what is public <laughs> opinion because the people who are upset about something are the people who speak out, and they sure. should. That's what democracy <laughs> is. But uh, then you as a leader have to judge, A, what's in the best interest in your city, and B, even what that neighborhood thinks. You listen to the people who have an objection, but that doesn't mean they're the only people who live there. I've heard people on the East Shore say, you won't believe how beautiful it is to be able to walk to the plane. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I plane. mean, yeah. exactly. And some people really like the fact that they can... Uh, sit on their lawns and see um, the planes come in. I mean, and it's it's something that they enjoy. So the, it's not monolithic over there. No, not at all. And, you know, it's also a regional asset. And then uh, some people who don't live on the East Shore say, like, I don't live on the East Shore. Well, you know, I moved near the Yale Bowl, so there's going to be football games. You move to an airport, there used to be more planes than there are now. Other people say, well, we live there, we like it the way it is, and we have a right to speak up, which is true. One question always gets raised is whether, you know, you're arguing, I noticed that when you started speaking right now, you're saying we want to go only to Florida and D.C. and maybe Chicago, which is a way of saying it's not like we're looking to have a million planes here. Right. So you're trying to reassure them on that end. Might the, might the debate be actually whether you'll even get that much? I don't even think there's a danger that we're going to go to too many cities. The question is, are the economics of the airline industry changing so that it's real competitive to get any airlines? Well, I think that one of the things that we'll see, because I think I think you're right. I think that, you know, like the- Not that air- you shouldn't be saying that, because you do need to make that point. Well, I was just observing. I, I don't know that you're right with your end point. I think you're right that the airline industry is changing, but I think that that change- is going to spike another change. Oh, and you think of the pendulum guy swing back to the small yes. airport and commercial. That's so interesting because you're right. We always look at what the trend is today. Right. That is pretty short-sighted. That's what we journalists do because like we are news cycles. We're not looking at like what's going to happen tomorrow. That's a long time from now. It's every five hours. But well, I think what you're just saying now is that even now, though the trend is there's consolidation and the carriers are, are ditching some of these smaller airports, 
you think the pendulum might swing back as technology changes. And I think that they're going to be air carriers, maybe even some of the newer ones that are going to fill that gap. Yes. All right. And yeah. you know, it makes a lot of sense when you think about technology, because <laughs> as you mentioned, these are smaller planes that do what bigger planes used to do, quieter planes. You're going to have drones taking, you know, delivering your dinner to you. I mean, you it imagine? seems like there'll be all sorts of variations of The flight. Jetsons. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved Rastro. That was my favorite. All right, Bob, we, uh, we got you on uh, Mayor Monday. Thanks for calling in, buddy. Sure. Good morning, uh, Paul and Mayor. How are you today? Good. How you doing? Okay, I have a couple of quick questions for the mayor. Um, just joining in, by the way, so I don't know if you've talked about them or not. Um, mayor, did you join in in the walkout last weekend? What did you think of it? Oh, no. Yeah, we I, did talk I, about that. We yeah. talked about it. I thought it was great. I'm glad that the young people are finding their voice. Do you plan on maybe having like a town hall meeting like some area schools are doing? Well, you know, the you thing that makes... gun violence... The thing that makes us a little different is that we have uh, two representatives um, from the school district on our board of education, and they already have access to a, a political voice. Um, you know, if if there were enough students who wanted us to have that, I, I would say that that would be something interesting to have. I know there are a number of bills that are being discussed in the legislature, particularly around bump stocks, um, and that their voice might help push that farther. Um, so um, what I would suggest to them is that they um, work with Senator Winfield and Senator Looney and our um, New Hartford delegation to uh, go to Hartford and have their voices known. And uh, I was really impressed with what they did. Um, one other question is, of course, about the superintendent of schools, who you also probably talked about. Um, do you think she'll have a rough road ahead of her? You know, I don't know. She's a really smart lady and um, really understands education policy. Uh, she's worked her way up through the ranks, and so uh, I'm expecting her to do a really good job in that, you know, look, education policy isn't... Um, unilateral there are all different kinds of ways to see it and so she'll have an opportunity to hear from a number of different groups about how we move forward but uh, she has the skills to move the district forward hey bob thanks so and much for calling me, it oh yeah no hold on i'm not done just a follow-up she she wants more charter schools are you in favor of more charter uh, schools? she didn't say that to me so i don't know where you're getting that from well, I, I got it from the, the meeting that night, the opposition meeting to her, uh, the next superintendent. I, I, I overheard from some of the parents there that she, she was in favor of more charter schools. No, no, she hasn't said that to me. And we've had many conversations. Um, and so, uh, and as a matter of fact, you know, even even if she were, I mean, one of the things that, that uh, people need to understand is that Getting a charter school is not an easy thing in Connecticut, particularly in this day and age with uh, the state budget being what it is. They are creatures of the state. They're not creatures necessarily of our local board of education. We can, of course, vote to have one, but the funding comes from the state department of education and the general assembly. 
How's the state doing? They have a lot of money these days? <laughs> Last time I looked, they were short enough. So I'm not going for a loan. So when you go to Hartford today, you're not asking for a loan. I'm not asking for a loan. not asking for any money. You're bringing car fare back. Okay. <laughs> Bob, Bob, thanks so much for calling in, All right, man. I just wanted to say, Mayor, get ready for another Nor'easter this week. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, but, you know, Bob, you got to help us convince the powers that be to have it just uh, fly well, out to see. Well, the was a fizzle to me. It of course, because we had your help. It was melted by the end of the day. <laughs> but, you know, but only in Ari. I think that there are other parts of Connecticut that saw a lot of snow. All right, thanks a lot, Bob. Okay. Yeah, last week, obviously, right, well, you're just being modest, Mayor Harp. Uh, we asked you to intercede with the weather authorities last week. And maybe it's just a coincidence. But all throughout the Northeast, there was a foot or two of snow. And then in this little carved out 18.7 square mile area, there was no snow for more than, except for one hour, there was like quarter of an inch. And then right next to us, there were walls of snow up at Welcome to Bridbridge, Welcome to Brantford. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I think maybe you're, you'd be a little modest here. <laughs> well, we'll just have to ponder that for a moment. <laughs> so I guess what they're saying Wednesday now is three to five inches, and they don't know yet whether it'll be Northeaster, meaning they don't know yet about the winds. Okay, well, the, I think the winds are the, the, the most the treacherous, part. really. Uh, I walk around my, my neighborhood, you know, walking the dogs and and just walking, and there are so many beautiful trees that have been maimed by these storms. It's unfortunate. It kind of looks kind of neat, though, when you kind of see them, when the time has come for the storm. To, I know I'm very philosophical about it, but I think the time comes for the trees to come down, you know? Well, it, that's I, I always, what they say. I mean, stuns, trees are just stunning to me that they come from these tiny seeds and they come so beautiful and majestic and they live so long, you know. And, you know, honestly, that's one of the things we were taught in um, mm -hmm. biology, right? And the Edgewood School song used to be till they had to have a macho new song because they had it in middle school, which was tiny, mm -hmm. mighty oaks from tiny acorns grow. <laughs> so, what a great visual. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of didn't go for the eighth graders on the basketball team, but uh, they had to be, I think, the Panthers or something. Uh, but um, the uh, there was a dilemma in that snowstorm, which I found very interesting. Mar Markeisha Ricks noticed down on Valley Street. So on Valley Street, you had sixty people. I couldn't believe that number. Sixty people within a couple of blocks ignored the parking ban. Yeah. So in a snowstorm, when there's a parking ban, you're supposed to park on the even. Don't be odd. As much as I don't like the sentiment of "don't be odd," it's an easy, good way to remember it. Yeah. So 60 people didn't, including some guys he met who had a whole full driveway. He was still parked down the street. So Honda Smith was there who takes her job very seriously in public mm -hmm. work. She's a public space person. She goes around when there's not a storm telling people how important it is to get your cars out of the way so that they can plow your streets. Otherwise, it's dangerous in narrow streets. So she's down there and she calls in. You know, they, oh, we got, um, we got a whole bunch of people here who need to have their cars tagged and towed. And there were hundreds around the city. So by the time um, the tag and tow team came, it was clear there was no longer going to be a big storm. There's really no snow around. So then there was a dilemma. Do we still tag and tow them? And uh, they were debating this. And they said, I really don't want to tell these people feel bad. But Honda said, you know, I think there's a good compromise here, which is that we don't need to tow them. That's a big hassle. It's a lot of extra money. But we do need to tag them because the point of the tagging is not to ring up money for the city coffers. It's to, so that people next time will not park the wrong way so the plows can get through when there is a storm. Because... You, you, you use about 97,000 different ways to try to tell people about this ban. You get, you get it in all our media outlets. You call people up. You send them text messages. You put it on the website. And some people still aren't getting that message. No matter, I remember you sent soundtracks out once. So, I mean, I don't see. I, I think Honda had a point. I don't see how you get the message out without. When you get people hate getting tickets. They hate being towed. But even just getting a ticket, you hate, you know, paying 30 bucks. 
And it seems like a pretty good way of doing it. In the end, the person didn't get a ticket. But what do you think about that situation when you, when you, when you have very good reason to believe because every forecaster says it's going to be a huge storm, it starts, tell people to get out of the way, they don't, then it turns out to fizzle in only 18.7 square miles in our city. What, what should we do then? I, I still think there should be a ticket so just to help people remember. To joggle their memory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is, like and this is serious. Yeah. Because, you know, when the storm does hit, and they're, they'll do the same thing. And then, the, you know, in all, in all honesty, you know, like we've had to deal in my office with people being towed. And, you know, and it's really an awful thing when you're towed and you don't have the money to get your car out. You need your car hassle. to go to your job. When you could have just parked on the even side of the yeah, <laughs> or even that one case, the guy with the driveway. Yeah. So um, you've been going up to Hartford quite a bit, not flying but driving, mm-hmm. and you were up there last week about the casino they want to build in Bridgeport, and something happened interesting the day after you were there. So we had Bridgehaven again. We had Bridgeport and New Haven with joining forces, saying we want you to have a law that allows people to compete, and MGM will probably get the right to build a big new casino in Bridgeport. We're saying we're going to get jobs out of that. They promised a job center here. There was a whole debate about it. And part of what was at issue was how the bill is written would stop Native tribes from continuing with an already approved casino in East Windsor. The day after that, the bill got out of committee, but it was changed by, speaking of Tweed New Haven, Tim Larson, Mm -hmm. who's a state representative or senator, as well as being the head of Tweed New Haven Airport. He's got two jobs. And he was up there. He said, well, you know, this doesn't seem fair. If we're going to move it ahead... I still don't like the MGM casino, but at least let the tribes, we're not going to break another treaty with, with Native Americans, let that go through. Right. So that went through. What did you think of that compromise? I thought it was a good one. Um, you know, one of the things in our discussion with the executives from MGM is that um, because they are building another casino in Springfield, which is not that far away, um, and they've talked about how they have proximity um, to a lot of their other casinos around the northeastern part of the United States. And they see that in many respects, um, the population in at Windsor and in um, uh, Springfield, are re- the people who will go to those uh, places are very different than the people that will come to Bridgeport. Right, Bridgeport, they're looking for people from Westchester County, right? New right. York and mm-hmm. Rhode Island, as well as the Shoreline and New Haven. I mean, right. Connecticut. Absolutely. What was interesting is that you said that in your testimony. You said you'd be fine. I believe you said that, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, what Marquisha wrote, Rick's in the Independent. You and everyone else said that would be a fine compromise, except for one speaker. Who was that? The MGM speaker said, we don't like this compromise. Well. And, 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 and the, 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 the accusation being made was that MGM doesn't really plan to build a casino in Bridgeport. They were just trying to use that as leverage to get the East Windsor one killed to protect their market share in Springfield. It's a good idea to build it in Bridgeport. I don't know what. I, I, I can't read their minds. The yeah. And you're not of the capital anymore anyway, except when you're driving up. So that we uh, and and not only that, you know, like a lot of people have said that they believe that that's the, the case. Um, and, you know, most of us think, look, you know, you said that it would be okay. Let's see what you do. Honestly, uh, I think that for the, if, if MGM doesn't want to build it there, the tribe should build it there. It's beautiful. Well, there was, there. I forget the name of the tribe, S-H-A-G-I-T-O-K-E, I think tried to build in the 90s. Shadatuck, right? I, I'm not going right. to try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get it right. But they uh, they sought permission in the 90s. And I remember the state said no. Remember that? Kind of I do. And the Golden Hill Pagusets also Oh, that's who it was. Yep, Golden yeah. Hill, right, right. And they yeah. said, okay, let's let bygones be bygones. If Bridgeport doesn't build, we'll build it. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah. This three comes around. And we're coming around to remind you, listen to Mayor Monday at New WNHH, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. I see tagged on Facebook, Connecticut, Young Democrats, Kimberly Glass, and Corey Evans, Bear McDowell, Justin Farmer. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this morning. Um, you were at the you were at a, a women's event, Women's Month event last week in, in New Hallville. And uh, it was a, about how women of color, I guess, face, uh, get, get involved in politics. Mm-hmm. And you were up there with people, most activists and elected officials, Robin Porter, others, Kiko Matos. And you talked about how the door opened. It sounded like a great event. Michelle Lou covered it for us, said it was kind of open and lively. They, they said it was going to be like The View. <laughs> and, uh, and that you spoke about how, I never knew this story, that the way you got involved in politics was that you were in the New Haven Hospital delivering your first child when the sister of a woman, you were there with another woman who was delivering. Yeah, she was, and one of those words with three people. Okay. And, and <laughs> one, of, the, them one of them was the sister. One of the other women giving birth was the sister of uh, someone who was working for a ward campaign, not hospital ward, political ward campaign. Right. Ward 20. She wanted to become the first uh, woman alderman of uh, Ward 20. Her name was Kathy Robinson? Kathy Robinson. But she and wasn't the one in there. It was her sister? Her sister was delivering and Kathy came to visit her. Okay. And Kathy was a good politician. She did. She did use the opportunity of becoming an aunt to also meet the other woman in the room, who she didn't know might become mayor one day, to get her involved in her political campaign. Right. Yeah. How did that actually happen? Uh, you know, she just came over and she said hello to me. And you know, as a matter of fact, her son, uh, which is why we we met. Her son worked worked for my husband. So okay. It was there was that connection, although I had never met her. And uh, so she came and she asked if. Uh, um, if I would be interested at some point that she was going to run. And, uh, you know, I didn't know a lot of people in New Haven. So I thought, Oh, that, that'll be a lot of fun. So my oldest child and I, she and her little carriage and I, we went door to door for Kathy oh, so Robinson. Funny. And where was where 20 then? Was it still New Hallville? Is it still New Hallville? Cause some of them have changed since then. Yeah. Since the seventies. And, uh, were you thinking right after you gave birth, was this like a high priority in your mind right then get involved in politics? No, but I thought it might be fun. Uh-huh. And it sounds like you went out with your daughter. Yeah. And, and, you know, I got to meet people and it was, it was interesting. And I, you know, I, I became a registered voter in Chicago. It's a big place, uh, huge ward politics, but it really hard to be a part of it. So I voted in Chicago and, um, but in New Haven, I could actually meet the candidate and knock on the doors for them. And I thought that was just so New Haven cool. is so easy to get involved. <laughs> you meet the mayor, you meet everybody. I mean, yeah. they legislate us pretty quickly if you want to get involved in things. Did you think then that you might run one day or how'd that happen? No, I really, I really didn't. I, uh, I was, I wasn't working at the time and I was really just trying to figure out if I could get a job somewhere. And, um, I, I got a job later working for the city of New Haven. I, I did social services planning and, all of the plants would go to the Board of Alders. And uh, one of my neighbors, Vanessa Burns, was an alder. Ward 2. In Japan. Ward 2, and I lived in Ward 2. And, and you know, we would talk sometimes, and I'd think to myself, well... You would listen. I would listen. She, yes, she would talk. She would talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking, listening to Vanessa. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, maybe one day when she's not alderman anymore, maybe that would be something that I could do. And... um you know, it was a, a long, long, long time later that I, um, 87. I ran. And all right. And now you're running a city, <laughs> which like all other cities has some financial challenges. 
Yeah. How's that for a segue? And last week, um, we there was a report made by your finance officials to the board of all is that in the current year's budget, not the one we're talking about creating a new one, we have a fourteen million dollar deficit. It was sixteen million a month before that, so you cut that down by two million with right. building building permits, real estate convenience. Are we going to end the year? With a balanced budget, or how, what, what are we looking at? We're really trying. We're working with uh, all of our departments to get them to tighten their belts. And uh, so we're working to, to get that to happen. All right. Well, good luck with that. I guess that happens a lot. Every year we kind of get these scary financial forecasts that you think, oh, my God, we're going to end with like millions and millions of dollars in, in deficit. And a lot of years, almost every year, we've closed that by the time it ends. Yeah, we try our best to close it. And It is uh, a big nut, $14 million. It's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, we... we we expect to all right Aaron close it. has a question on Facebook Mayor Harp given the four-year delay of the Farmington Canal phase four project due to the inability of the city to come to agreement with property owners on Audubon Street over construction is it is it time for the city to consider using eminent domain to make sure this important project goes forward so as usual with Aaron Good he's done more research than I did the last mm -hmm. I knew after a bunch of years the city struck an agreement with the last property owners along the Farmington Canal by the Audubon Street area to get an easement so that you can, can finish that stretch of the Farmington Canal, connecting the canal going all the way to Hamden and, and um, Wallingford down to the harbor. Did something not come through with that? Well, you know, I'm going to have to check. The last time I had a conversation uh, about that, it I'm was with check too. That's really Karen Gilvarg. And I yeah, know that there was... Uh, <laughs> She's <laughs> There was a um, question of air rights mm -hmm. and an, an, a, a negotiation that needed to happen around air rights. And so um, I, I need to find out from Michael Piscatelli now exactly yeah. where we are with that. But I, too, had thought that everything had been resolved. Because there was paperwork submitted to the Board of Alders with the agreement. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I had thought that it had been solved uh, let me check into it. Yeah, and Aaron, good. If you want to, you obviously know something we don't know. If you want to, um, in the few minutes left here, send in any information you've heard out. Otherwise, I'll, I'll do my job and uh, try to find out later okay. what's going on with that. That's been a, been a long road. But anytime you do something in a city, there are all these little pieces of property that somebody owns from a long time ago, and you kind of got to get. I remember you read the books about when they did urban renewal, and Dick Lee had a, there'd always be one holdout, like Savage Jeweler on College Street, that would stop the whole project until mm -hmm. they were made whole and had one demand met and i know that karen gilbert spent a city plan director four years uh negotiating that no she was get, she worked get, really hard getting very far and that's gonna be great when that's all that's all built through and aaron mm -hmm. good has been one of those people pushing very hard for pedestrian access and long wharf access he's a real uh, no and we're excited asset. we we think it's gonna it's going to happen i i've got to find out what what the holdup is too see another um finance issue if you don't mind my going back to that was talking about next year's budget we hadn't realized until a hearing last week that the city is seeking next year to borrow $250 million to, um, to put toward our underfunded pensions. We have two major pension plans. We talk about the city employees retirement mm -hmm. fund, SURF, and the police and fire. And they're both about, I believe, 40% funded. The, the um, rating agencies like to have 80 to 85, correct? Well, they consider you to be fully funded when you're at 80 to 85. Um, and so what we are trying to do with the SURF or the City Employees Retirement Fund is to, um, is to get permission from the Board of Alders to do pension obligation bonds and so that we can get it fully funded. 
borrowing the money at a low rate and then being able to, through um, the contributions that the, the city and the employees make uh, and the, the dollars that are earned on the market, um, make uh, enough to cover our loan and also um, get it up to ultimately Right, you're saying the returns will be higher than the interest rate. Right, exactly. And, and how will the, when the Fed rates rates this week? Mm-hmm. You know, this is really beyond my, my expertise. I just didn't know how to throw out the questions. When the Fed raises interest rates this week, what will that do to the interest rate you'll be able to, what you'll have to pay well, on see, a pensions obligation bond? We won't know for sure what our interest rate will be until we um, take all of the steps that we need to take to go to market. And that's when the, the interest rates, we can negotiate in, interest rates. If they're not favorable, we won't do it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then when your guests, I guess you've also, I believe if I'm not mistaken, last year or two, you guys have taken steps to lower the expectations of how much you're going to make in returns on the pension program. It's not just New Haven. I believe that government pension funds everywhere had wildly overestimated. And I know we did better on SURF last year. We had an article on mm-hmm. Friday that the year that ended in December that we actually had a pickup after some years that didn't do great. Um, but, but I think pension funds, one reason they're underfunded, if I'm not mistaken, is that they got, they were always projecting higher returns than they actually got. Correct? That, that was one of the reasons what was happening with, the the surf fund and, and to, to police and fire as well is that think about your mortgage and every year if you were refinancing your mortgage you don't really ever make any progress on the principal and as a matter of fact you lose ground and so what happened before I became mayor is that for many many years they were refinancing it and really not paying an adequate amount and uh, the actuarial um, 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 amount that was required to um be to fully earn, fund be considered to fully earn, funded. well to yet yeah, to be fully funded was 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 higher than than um than particularly with surf than was ever met so that and they did it year after year after year and it was unfortunate because that that particular pension actually lost um, their funding level. I think they were almost at 65 at one point, mm. and now they're down to 38. Aren't, aren't a lot of pension funds even lower? I mean, I know Illinois has a crisis, Connecticut's. I mean, am I wrong that other factors that go into pension problems that everybody's having include that people are living longer? Because Dan Malloy keeps saying two-thirds or more of the problem that they're having, this big budget pension problem, is the, is the older retirees, that they were given... Benefits that I would still argue people deserve to get, but that's a whole other discussion. But expense of what's become expensive pension benefits compared to what people get now with 401ks in the private sector, and that they just cost a lot and they're living longer, and that governments to balance budgets. There were bills that were bipartisan up at the Capitol when Roland and Rail were governor that didn't adequately put enough money in every year, so they wouldn't have to raise taxes. Are those the reasons? Well, I think that's uh, part of it. And every two years, though, uh, our our pension funds, and I believe even the states, an actuary has to um, determine what it would take to um, actuarially fund your pension for that year. And so um, the legislative body can decide, and the governors and legislative body can decide among them not to fully fund the pension, and I think some of that has happened over time. And... um, when you don't do that over time, and then your your return assumptions are are inaccurate as well as we just discussed, 
then you lose ground. So what happens when you're 38% funded or 20% funded? What does it mean when the checks go out? Nothing. We have enough money to pay. <laughs> so what does it mean? Just that they say to be safe over time, you need to well, have more. Well, you know, there. if everybody who was eligible to retire and was um, vested retired at the same point in time. And no we, one died. And, and, and no one died then we would likely run out of money. But it never happens that way. But you still... But aren't, you, uh, aren't we talking about Illinois and places where they say they might not be able to pay the actual... It's going to get to a point where they're not going to pay, you know? Well, I don't know about Illinois, but, you know, like, at least we can. We can yeah. afford to do that. Um, but, you know, it's not safe. There, uh, you do, there does come a time when, when that might be a, a problem. But not only that... Um, your liquidity and all of the rest of that for the overall operation of government uh, is called into question too, because all of that is part of it. And so uh, ultimately, um, do you need the entire pot of money to pay out every, every year? No. But in order to um, have peace of mind to know that if you ever had to, that you had enough money then you have to try to get it fully funded. And there's no question about um, how much you can, how much you're going to pay to borrow money in general. So the city gets a bond rating, right? The bond rating agencies see how good they think your finances are. And if they think you're not putting enough money toward rainy day funds and, and, um, and pension, pension funds, then they say that you're not as good at credit risks. Then it costs you more money to borrow money. That's right. So one comment they're asked, I didn't know how to answer this question is if we're going to borrow $250 million to make the, pension fund more solvent or just better funded while better funded. having a better funded pension fund helps with your bond rating. Doesn't borrowing $250 million hurt your credit rating because you're borrowing more. No, I think the fact that we're taking that on actually improves it. That's what our, that's what our consultants are telling us. Okay. So they say people actually know this mm -hmm. We deal with bond rating agency. Say they, they, you're showing a seriousness Right, but that's predicated on the promise that you'll do it only if the interest rate you're borrowing is lower than the return that's safely you can guess you can make, and that we have a a, a less fungible obligation if we have a bond than we do if we have. Meaning, if theoretically it's a big disaster, nuclear war or whatever, and we couldn't pay our bonds, no longer will the city be on the hook. It'll be the bondholders who will be. No, on the no, hook. that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. I'm saying that you know, like, um, if you do the two hundred and fifty million dollar bond you have to pay that every year because it's a that kind of obligation you don't necessarily have to pay um as the as you can see from the state you can underpay your 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 bond obligation as a city but you can't uh, you can underpay your pension That's obligation as a city but you can't underpay your bond so obligation. So you're saying that we're therefore telling the bond rating agencies, look, we're not underfunding our pension obligation. We're not underfunding that. We have a system in place that requires that we pay it, mm -hmm. All right. which you don't have otherwise. So it'll be interesting. These are very difficult issues to debate publicly because they're complicated. So yep. I'm sure that the next few weeks, that's going to be one of the issues, uh, one of the issues we'll be talking about. Yeah, and, you know, if uh, the Board of Alders... Uh, doesn't feel that they'd like to to do that then we won't do it well any thoughts it some other way any thoughts on the attorney general's race uh i'm sure you get in wood all the time we have chris maddie coming in tomorrow we talked to um claire kindle who said she wants to be the first woman elected out and out Claire nardine riddle i don't think was elected she 
took over from Joe Lieberman when he left, right? Okay, okay. And then there's William Tong, who's pushing the bump stock bills. Any thoughts on that race? Well, the only one that I know is William Tong. Okay, because you served <laughs> with him, right? I did. And, and, and it's an interesting story, immigrant yeah, family and all that. Yeah, yeah very likable guy, you know. Yeah. Okay, so this race is not at the top of your agenda. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> Longwharf at the top of your agenda. You're, you've been hiring these consultants. They came out with a pretty interesting plan. Yeah. You got these people did the $2 billion relook at Washington's port, right? In New Haven, they want to create five different districts within Longwharf, mm -hmm. each with a different theme, but connected by pedestrian paths, pedestrian paths. So there'd be like an innovation district, a parkway district, a gateway district, and kind of a ribbon park through them. And I guess because people don't, when they think of Longwharf, it's not just the waterfront. But we're talking about where Sports Haven is, and mm -hmm. obviously Sergeant Drive around the side of the highway. Any any thoughts on that? No, I'm I'm really excited about it. I hope we can get some developers that would like to help us implement that plan. All right, well, you got to go up to Hartford. I have to admit that even though twenty four seven, twenty three seven, we think about New Haven. In the last this last weekend, I've been thinking a lot about Washington because usually I've made a real New Year's resolution not to spend much time thinking about President Trump and tweets. But I wonder whether we crossed some kind of line this weekend. When the president's firing another person from the FDI, doing it in, in a way that you often see in third world countries when he taunted this person, Mr. McKay, publicly for months about how he knew what date he was supposed to retire, was he could get him fired just two days before that to not get his pension. Trying to discredit the FBI from an investigation, right? Independent Counsel Association, now talking about possibly firing um, Robert Mueller, I don't know. I'm just getting the creeps that we might be going down a path toward authoritarianism. Am I exaggerating here? No, you're not. I'm very worried about our country. I'm worried about our democracy. And I'm worried about the way in which they, the leaders interact with the people and bring out the worst in people. It will, it doesn't serve as well as a country. And we've democracy. seen that for the year, more than a year, and we've talked about it a lot. It's very upsetting. Mm -hmm. There was something about, this is sort of more the inside baseball game with the way that leaders kind of punish people, anyone who tries to hold them accountable. And I, just, I haven't seen a, a presidency work in this way, and I don't know whether the members of Congress can stop him. Or have the will to stop him, yeah. which is the more worry. Well, that's a cheery note. But <laughs> we shouldn't end on that note. We should know that you're going up to Hartford today. You're going to make the case for Tweed New Haven. For economic development for the South Central region. And anything else this week coming up? Any new stores like last week? Uh, no, I, I can't think of anything. We're going to uh, get Aaron Good an answer. I'll take that one on. Okay, Farm great. Farmington Canal. Let's let's find out what, what I thought that was all taken care of. Okay. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to... I think we're going to have a great week. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Three to five inches of snow. We'll just have one more pretty look at the trees with the, uh, with the white on them. All right. Well, thanks a lot for tuning in to Mayor Monday at WNHH. Thanks to Gateway Community College and Bertram Moses, BC, for providing financial support. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. And I'm wishing that uh, everybody will have a blessed day and join us again next week. Music